Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for the warm welcome that we've received uh, here in your church. Uh, I have heard over the years many good things of the wonderful involvement uh, that you as a church have in partnering with OM around the world. And certainly one of the, the key couples that I know well, Pranish and Heather, um, as they were serving in Albania, my wife and I were serving and beginning the work in Moldova. And we grew up together in OM and uh, have become good friends. I don't see them so much anymore uh, since they moved back to South Africa. But we really do appreciate the, the, the partnership for many years uh, that you have had in walking alongside and partnering with OM in mission work. Now I'd like to uh, open together the scriptures and look, we'll be reading from Mark chapter 6 and beginning in verse 30. And I'd like to read this well-known uh, passage about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then we'll be uh, looking at that together. So let's begin in Mark chapter 6 verse 30. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, and many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wage. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. If I can just say a word of prayer again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we can meet freely in this place. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to meet with us in the midst of your word. Speak to us, Lord. And I ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds as we look at what may be a familiar passage to many of us. We pray that you would speak, and that we would hear what you want us to hear. Lead us and guide us. Help us to concentrate, Lord, 
we pray that we may meet with you through your word. For we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. I'd like to begin with a question. And of course it's interesting coming to a congregation I've never preached here. I don't really know any of you. And so I'll begin with this question wondering what your response might be. Did you come to church this morning feeling tired? I'm not necessarily asking for someone to jump up and say yes or no. Maybe some of us came to church this morning feeling tired. Perhaps the last days have been very busy and we're physically tired. Maybe you stayed up too late last night and you're feeling a little bit weary this morning. Sometimes when we think of tiredness, we think especially of physical tiredness. But I'm not just talking about physical tiredness this, this morning. Uh, you know, if I were to say, not just physical, but emotional tiredness. Do you know what I mean when I talk about emotional tiredness? How we sometimes can go through life and, well, life becomes difficult and challenging Maybe there are issues in our family, relationship issues, maybe different struggles at work or with friends, whatever it might be. Uh, I think most of us can identify with that feeling of emotional tiredness when, well, life just seems difficult. Uh, so I think of physical tiredness, I think of emotional tiredness. I wonder if sometimes we can experience what I could call spiritual tiredness. Maybe some of you can relate to this, where we go through the motions of attending church. On the outside, we look like good Christians on a Sunday morning, maybe even a Sunday evening, maybe even the house group or the Bible study groups that we might be involved in during the week. But you know how sometimes, as Christians, we can go through the motions, but there can be a spiritual weariness or lethargy. We are going through the motions of studying our Bible, reading our Bible and praying, but we know that there's not perhaps the closest relationship with the Lord that we have at times experienced. So I asked the question, are you tired this morning? Uh, thinking about physical, emotional, spiritual tiredness, I'm asking that in the light of what I see here in Mark chapter 6. Because here in Mark chapter 6, we read that the apostles, the 12 disciples, have been out on a mission trip. Jesus has sent them out. They've been preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Everywhere they'd gone, there, there were crowds and crowds of people. Well, they've come back and are reporting to Jesus. And we read here, there were so many people, they did not even have time to eat. They were exhilarated because they'd been serving God. And yet, they were tired and they were hungry. And Jesus looked at his closest friends and he recognised that they were tired. And he says these wonderful words in verse 31. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You know, I just, I love this. Jesus recognised and knew that they were tired. He understood their situation. And he said, come with me and Let's have fellowship together. You need to rest. I think of those words he said in another 
part of the Gospels, Come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I just felt to emphasise this, this verse as we're moving through the text this morning, because maybe there are people here in the congregation who, well, you just needed to be reminded of that invitation from the Lord Jesus. Come to him. He can meet us in our tiredness, in our weariness. Only he, Jesus, can fulfill the need, the deep need that we have in our life to know God and to live in relationship with him. So we begin looking at this text, reminding ourselves of the invitation to come to Jesus. And the disciples must have, well, they were thrilled to have heard that invitation after all the busyness of recent days and weeks. Let's go and spend quality time with the Lord. You know, I even think of that phrase, quality time with the Lord, and I think of the challenge that it is for so many of us in the busyness of modern life to ensure that we are spending quality time in God's Word. Every morning, for me, the most important part of my day, even when I know that I'm going to be so busy, is to get up early and to spend time in the Word. But of course, that means I have to be disciplined in the evening, going to bed at the right time. Quality time with the Lord. The invitation to come and spend time with Him. Perhaps that's a challenge for so many of us who can be so distracted with all that the modern world has to offer. I wake up in the mornings, I have my Bible in one hand, I have my, my device that's connected to the internet in the other and I'm tempted to check the football scores. I'm tempted to see what's happening in the news. But I know the most important thing is for me to be grounded in God's word at the beginning of every day. So the invitation to come and spend time with Jesus. Well, the disciples were thrilled to hear and to respond to that invitation. But we see that Jesus says, come on, let's go on this little boat trip together. Let's take a picnic, let's go to the far side of the lake. Later on we read there's green grass, it's a beautiful spring day. And the disciples head out in this little boat on the lake. Just them and Jesus. That's what they needed. Time alone with the Lord. And I think of the disciples and how they must have felt in the boat with Jesus. They were safe. They were with their Lord. It was the most beautiful thing to enjoy close fellowship with him. Um, but there was a problem. Because whilst they were enjoying close fellowship with Jesus, they, they glanced outside the boat to, the, to the, uh, the banks of the lake on one side and the other. And what did they see? What is that? It, it looks like the trees are moving. It looks like there's... Oh no, it's crowds of people. <laughs> the crowds that they had left behind, had recognised where they were heading in this little boat. And they're heading one side and the other and congregating and waiting for Jesus and his friends to get to the other side. I wonder how the disciples felt at that moment. Hey Jesus, let's just stay in the middle of the lake where they can't get to us. We recognise their needs, but Lord, you said it would just be us together in the boat. You invited us to be there, a quiet place to get some rest 
We haven't even had time to eat. And now the crowds are following us. I think of the disciples in that boat. I think of myself. I think perhaps of us. Our boat is a slightly different shape, but here we are, (laughs) meeting together, just those who know and love Jesus, friends of Jesus, and he is here in our midst. We are safe in this boat. We can meet freely. We can enjoy fellowship with him. And of course, we pray for our needs. Lord, would you bless me? Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you heal me? Lord, would you strengthen me? Lord, would you guide me? Lord, would you help me and my family? Because after all, I'm at the centre of the universe. And I find myself so often concentrating on my needs. And yet, of course, I'm not at the centre of the universe. The Lord Jesus is at the centre of the universe. I've been studying the book of Revelation. I won't be preaching from Revelation today, but just that picture of Jesus, the lamb who was slain on the throne. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is at the centre. It's not me. It's not you. He does love us. He does care for us. He does want to meet our needs. But boy, I'm challenged about my prayer life sometimes. Because I recognise that so often perhaps my Christianity is very self-centred. So often I'm thinking of my own situation, my own life, my own family. Maybe I'm just concentrating in the boat and I'm not looking beyond. Not looking at the banks of the people crowding around. Well, Jesus, when he's there with his disciples in the boat, he, he looks out and we read in verse thirty. For when Jesus saw the crowds, how did he feel? He had compassion on them. Because they were, they were like sheep without a shepherd. There was, there was no direction. They didn't know the truth. They didn't know the way to the kingdom of God. And Jesus looked at the people and that, that word compassion, I'm sure you've heard that preached many times. It's a deep word. It means literally Jesus, when he looked at the crowd, his his stomach turned over. From the very depth of his being, he felt the need to bring the good news and to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom of God. The contrast, perhaps, with our so often superficial feelings. Jesus felt compassion upon the people. Well, I think of how the disciples reacted when they saw the crowds. I think of Jesus' compassion. I guess I need to ask us that question. How do we react? What do we see when we look at the crowds? You know, we see often these newspaper headlines of the horrendous, difficult, terrible things that are happening in our world. And perhaps we're so um, deluged, is that an English word, by by the situations in our world that, well, We just don't know what to do as Christians. It's safer just to stay in the boat. It's safer not to look out and to see some of these horrendous things that are happening. Uh, Gary was introduced early and Gary and I had the opportunity in the last months to travel to Zambia in Africa. And there we were visiting, spending time with churches and believers, visiting different projects that we're involved in. Hearing of the situation for our brothers and sisters, but 
also for those who don't know the Lord. In especially sub-Saharan Africa, still one in three children in Africa growing up uh, with different forms of malnourishment. We went to a, a school that we'd helped to establish as OM in Kabwe, in uh, one of the main cities in Zambia. We read and, and understand that one in four children are still not being educated. And as we sat in the head teacher's office and she shared something of the challenges that she faces as a teacher, she pointed out of the window and she said, you see that little boy by the well? A little boy who wasn't in a school uniform, wasn't in one of the classrooms. She said, just one hour ago, he's probably 10 years old, one hour ago, he was here in my office, kneeling before me, saying, please, head teacher, allow me to go, come to school. And she said, I just don't have space. And she said, he's one of so many. We would love to educate, to raise with a Christian education, but, well, the needs are so great. We hear from August 2017, of the Rohingya refugees in southern Bangladesh, this people group of more than a million people who fled persecution in Myanmar. No known believers amongst them, a Muslim people. Now in southern Bangladesh, I visited a refugee camp of more than 700,000 people. Folks living in, in simple bamboo shelters with, with sacking and it, it's impossible to describe the situation, the conditions <clears throat> that some people in our world are living in. And here we are, safe in the boat as Christians with the Lord Jesus. And we glance out sometimes and recognise and see the needs of others. And I've mentioned perhaps some of the physical needs, but when we think of the spiritual situation... 7.7 billion people sharing the planet with us. And we're told that some 2.8 or 3 billion people, 41.6% of the population of the world, have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. How does that make us feel? How should we react as Christians when confronted with that sort of reality? It's not just have never heard the gospel. It's 3 billion people who live in areas of the world where they don't have access to the gospel. There is no Christian church in their community. Even if they've heard of Jesus and want to learn more, humanly speaking, they have no opportunity to meet a Christian and to hear the good news and to be saved. How can that be in the 21st century? How can there still be 1.5 billion people who do not have the scriptures in their own language? Nearly 3 billion people, and that number is added to by 60,000 every single day. Is this acceptable for us as Christians? Safe in the boat with Jesus and occasionally glimpsing the reality of the situation in our world. Jesus spoke in John chapter 4 and he says... Open your eyes, or another translation, lift up your eyes and see. And I've just been dwelling on those words in recent days. What does it mean for me to, to open or to lift up my eyes? To look beyond my own situation, to look beyond our safe little boat, and to see that there are people out there. I remember when my wife and I first moved to Moldova and we were living in a small town called Nisporen 
just a handful of believers and we were helping uh, in a church planting situation. And I can remember there was one lady who had started to bring her children along to the little church that we were planting and we encouraged, we want to encourage Rhea and so we found out where she lived. Can we come and visit you? And we went to visit this lady Rhea. She lived with her two children and her mother. We followed the directions. We arrived at this little house. You could barely call it a house, a little uh, shack, wooden built. And we went in. There was no electricity, no running water, no heating. A little beeswax homemade candle was the, the only light and, and heating source. And there was Rhea and her two children and mother sitting on a sort of a rickety old bed. This was their life, their existence. We tried to encourage her, keep coming along to the church, bring the children to the, to the Sunday school that we'd started. But we were shocked at the conditions in which she was living. And as we were leaving, I looked in the adjacent room, this little two-room house, and I saw that wooden floorboards had been taken up from the floor. And I asked Rhea, in my broken Moldovan at that stage, have you been doing repairs? What's happening here? And Rhea was very embarrassed. But eventually she said, well, actually, a couple of weeks ago, my father passed away. And she said, we did not have money to pay for the funeral. And so we took the floorboards up from our house and we built a coffin and we buried him. And I can remember with my wife going back to our little apartment and getting on our knees and praying, Lord, what can we do? In the, in, the, in the light of the extraordinary needs that surround us, as we lift up our eyes, as we open our eyes and begin to glimpse these needs, what an incredible challenge it is for us as Christians when we know that God is calling us to respond well, the disciples were there with Jesus and the crowds had come and Jesus had compassion and they had arranged for the crowds to sit down. And well, it was wonderful seeing Jesus preaching the kingdom of God and perhaps he was healing people and speaking the parables. It would have been wonderful, but the, the disciples were tired. Remember, they were tired and hungry. And it came to a point where they approached Jesus and they say, Jesus, we recognize the needs of the people. These folks, they're, well, they're, they're getting tired. Uh, they're hungry. You need to send them away, Jesus, so that they can find food in adjacent villages. You know, there's children here and there are safeguarding issues. It's getting late. So time to, time to send them home, Jesus. What the disciples, I think, are saying is, hey, Jesus, we recognize the needs of these people. We want them to be safe. We want them to be fed. We want them to be, be safe in their homes. So Jesus, you need to send them home. Here's Jesus being advised by the disciples and they're telling him what they think he should do. Lord, we recognize the needs of the people. So please, would you do something? I wonder if that reflects something of the way I sometimes pray. Lord, I recognize the needs of the Rohingya people in southern Bangladesh. Lord, would you do something? Raise up workers to go there. Lord, I recognize the needs of young people in our city, in Belfast. Would you raise up youth leaders and youth workers to, to minister and to reach out to them? Lord, I recognize the needs of people in our community. 
Would you bring them along to church so that our pastors and elders can minister to them? We pray and advise and kind of tell Jesus what he should do and how he should work. And those prayers aren't bad, but I am challenged by what Jesus says. The disciples tell Jesus what he should do, and he turns, and I think with a smile, in verse 37, he says, why don't you give them something to eat? Why don't you do something? Oh, but then the excuses come tumbling out, don't they? The second part of verse 37. But, but Lord, it would, be, it would be too expensive. It would be eight months of a person's wage. Is, is that really how you want us to spend the, the, the ministry money that we have? Blow it all on one meal when there are so many other priorities? Uh, Lord, we can't make a difference in these people's lives. We can't feed the poor. We can't make a difference for those refugees in southern Bangladesh. Uh, we can't build shelters for the homeless. We can't reach the young people in our city. We can't preach to our neighbours. We can't do this. We can't... All the excuses just come tumbling out. I think the bottom line, like the disciples, sometimes our response is, Lord, it would cost me too much. Lord, I recognise the needs. I recognise that something needs to be done. I'll even pray, Lord, would you do something... But I can't be involved. It would cost me too much. There we were in Zambia, talking to brothers and sisters who from Zambia are going out to some of the most difficult countries in uh, Africa, in the Sahel region, the, just north of where, where the sub-Saharan African countries meet the North African countries, this incredibly unreached area of the world speaking to brothers and sisters who have served and are serving in those countries. And, you know, we heard of one missionary couple who, in a country that I won't name, you know, they, they contacted back the base in Zambia and they said, we are seeing people come to faith. We are seeing this church established, but our lives are in danger. And it is very possible that we will lose our lives because of the testimony that we are giving to the Lord Jesus. And they said, we want to, you to promise us something. Please promise us that if we lose our lives, that you will send other missionaries to take our place. You know, I hear that. And I think of so often how we might say, Lord, it would cost me too much to get involved. And I think of brothers and sisters around the world who are giving their lives for the furtherance of the gospel. The Apostle Paul gives the good news. He says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, that's good news, isn't it? Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. But then Paul takes us through a progression of, of thought in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. He says, the problem is, how can they call on the name of the one they've not believed in? And then, how can they believe if they've not heard. And there's another problem. How can they hear if no one preaches? Oh, and there's another problem. How can they preach unless they are sent? And if they are sent, they're going to have beautiful feet. This progression of thought. How will they hear of Jesus unless someone goes and tells them? Of course, we're talking of the needs of the crowds, whether the crowds are in our community. 
or whether they're to the ends of the earth, the needs remain the same. There are so many reasons why, uh, why the gospel has not gone to the ends of the earth. We still know out of 17,000 people groups, there's 6,000 who are unengaged. There is no Christian witness amongst them. We're actually going to jump over that slide. I've mentioned some of the statistics, but I'm aware of the time. But I am challenged with the reality that surely in the 21st century, for those of us who are safe in the boat with Jesus, as we look and recognize the needs of others, we need, we need to be reminded, we need perhaps to be challenged, that there are so many who have never heard, and surely it's unacceptable for us as Christians, to just go about our lives knowing that 40% of the planet live in areas where there's no witness to the gospel. It was mentioned that, that I serve with OM and have now for more than 25 years with my wife and just in the last years moved back to the UK. And one of the great privileges, privileges I have, if we go to the next slide, just get a glimpse sometimes of what God's doing around the world through OM teams, 4,000 or so workers serving full-time in 115 different countries. Uh, Gary would be able to share about his time on the Logos Hope, the, the OM ship sailing around the world, groups of young people bringing the good news, if always in partnership with local churches. We're really excited, the Logos Hope, we're planning to bring to the UK uh, next year. And Andrew Berry, who's preaching this evening, I believe will share a little bit more about plans to bring the, the, the OM ship to Belfast, uh, probably in the autumn of next year. One of the challenges is we need workers. The harvest being plentiful, the workers being few. We need more workers to serve on the Logos Hope. We need more workers to go out to some of the most unreached areas of Central Asia and North Africa. We're looking for people with professional backgrounds, um, maybe early retirees or teachers or people from medical profession, engineers, architects, who could get into some of these creative access countries serving with us and sharing the good news of Jesus. In the introduction at the beginning, I mentioned, or it was mentioned about my wife Helen, I didn't mention I have five children who grew up with us on the mission field in Moldova. Our eldest, 18-year-old Hannah, left home last Monday. She left home, she's taking a gap year with a mission called OM. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but uh, our daughter Hannah has been sending us texts and pictures from a refugee camp in Athens in Greece. And there she is, spending time, just as a young 18-year-old, with Afghan, Syrian, Iraqi, Iranian refugees, sharing the love of Christ with, with women and with children, with a small team. But then I think of our team trying to serve and do the same in Serbia, always saying to me, Matthew, we need poor workers. Who will go short-term, long-term, and share the love of Christ amongst peoples who have never had the opportunity of hearing? The crowds are waiting. The crowds are outside the boat. Jesus is looking with compassion. How are we looking as we look to the crowds? As I move to a close, maybe just to mention verse, well, let me just say very briefly, you know, I, I just think of a, a time when we first went to Moldova and we were speaking at a teacher training college. We'd been told by the principal, you only have 20 minutes to share your message. So, Small group of us were there. We shared a testimony. We shared our faith in the Lord Jesus. We sang a song. We finished after 20 minutes. There was 400 students in this packed auditorium. 
And the director, after 20 minutes, looked at us and said, well, keep going. Tell us more. This is interesting. This was back about 20 years ago. Such a hunger for the gospel. <laughs> and there, in front of 400 students, well, we spent the next four hours sharing our faith. We all shared our testimony. We all preached as we were able to. And at one stage, one of the teachers of this teacher training college jumped up and she shouted out in Romanian. The words were something like, which means literally, why have we never heard these words before? Boy, I was challenged and I still am when I think back to that. How many people in our world today would shout out those words when they hear the good news of Jesus? Why did we not hear this until now? And we, who live with Jesus, we who are blessed, who are safe in the boat, perhaps the challenge is to open our eyes recognising, Lord, couldn't you use me? Can, can you use me to make a difference? Um, very briefly to say, I, Helen and I wrote a book about our missionary experiences. Um, it's available if you, if you want. And, and the reason I'm pushing this book is just to say, it's my story of how God can use ordinary people. God can use all of us to make a difference. We might think, Lord, what can I do? Well, God can use us all. And we know that Scripture's full of examples, isn't it? Simple fishermen and farmers who were willing to step out by faith. Lord, would you put the words in my mouth? Would you give me boldness, courage to speak, to step out, to make a difference? Well, we need to finish. Verse 38. Of course, as Jesus tells the disciples, you know, what do you have? What, count how, how many loaves. They, they, they have a, a few loaves and a few fish. It's nothing. What difference can that make? Well, it can make all the difference when it's given to Jesus, <laughs> when it's in his hands. And he takes the loaves from the disciples. He blesses. The miracle happens. He gives the loaves and the fish back to the disciples. God working through ordinary people. And of course, the, the needs of the people were met. The little that we have, if we offer into Jesus' hands, he can and will make a difference. And finally, of course, the disciples, well, they pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of, of bread and fish. 12 basketfuls, 12 disciples. Remember, they started the day they were tired and they were hungry. And at the end of the day, they've served Jesus. And they've seen God at work. And they've seen the needs of the crowds met. And well, there are, there are 12 basketfuls left over for them. <laughs> Jesus meets their needs as well. So the challenge as I close, recognising just how blessed we are as Christians. We're safe in the boat. One day we'll be, we'll be with him for all eternity. But perhaps the challenge is opening our eyes and recognising, looking beyond our own needs, recognising the needs of those who are not yet in the boat. Life is not just all about me. And recognising afresh that God calls us to be a blessing for others, a light in the darkness. We are all called to share the love of God found in Jesus Christ. What can we do in these next days, in this next week? as we're reminded of that challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples. You feed them. You do something. Amen.
Thank you, Matthew, for that very challenging message. As you said, there are, there's an opportunity to purchase a book here. It's on my left-hand side as you leave. And there's other literature here from Flow and so on. Can I remind you, please, that if you have children in jam and quench, it is important that you collect them immediately. And if you wish to speak to Matthew and Gary, that they are here for a short period of time. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenge that we have received this morning. Our Father, as we sit here safely in the boat, we lift our eyes. And our Father, we see a community which is in need of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see them here on our shores. We see them in our land. We see them across the world. Father, challenge each and every one of us. Our Father, help us to put our shoulder to the wheel. Help each and every one of us to make our contribution. For us to take the message and to not depend on others. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had this morning. We ask now as we part, that you part us with your blessing. Our Father, we just pause at this moment to pray for our brother Peter Maiden, and we commit him to you and our family at this very difficult time. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for coming. You can use both doors for exiting the hall this morning. Thank you.